Hello and welcome to the Science of Footy podcast. You're back with your hosts Liam and Bill. We've got round one of Supercoach in the books. How'd you do? Yeah, I've done all right. I've put up 2060, which is not exactly what I was hoping for, but uh, I did notice that the first place is only 23.98, so not too far off the pace. How about you, Liam? Yeah, I finished uh, with 21.16, so again, still a little bit of ways off the leader, but as you mentioned, this year we seem to have sort of a lower overall scores. I think some of the maybe rule changes and differences in players scoring big and rookies scoring big, we might have a few less uh, high scores this year. And the big question, how did the model do? The model did better than both of us. So the model uh, model put up uh, about 50 points more than me, so it ended up um, at 21.46. So the model computer is better than humans so far. Yeah, so far. I guess this is sort of what we expected the model to you know, have those sort of good scores early because it's running less rookies on the field. Yeah, we might go through a bit of what we uh, found out from our own teams from the weekend, who we thought did well and poorly, and uh, some overall structural things that we saw, and then we'll move into talking a bit more about that model and uh, how it is happening to score a bit better than we are. So maybe we'll start with a few things that we did well. Uh, do you have like maybe some three things you like about how your team scored? Yeah, so I think fundamentally my team remains pretty sound. I imagine you're the same, not really looking to make some wholesale changes here. Um, in terms of things that I did well, I think Harris Andrews at D2 proved to be a pretty good pick. Um, obviously, only one week in. He's put up 117, so that's sort of what I was going for. I thought I could get a top six you know, premium defender score out of him while only paying 480000 and that seemed to pay off pretty well. Uh, a last-minute switch to Jack McRae uh, from Lockie Neal didn't necessarily add me uh, too many points there. I think he scored about 10 higher, but he was the captain's choice. I had to fall back on him after a pretty poor score from Dangerfield, and he just had that reliability where I was like, okay, now I'll switch to Jack McRae, lock him in for captain, and he, he paid off there. And then I guess the last one for me, I, I went with that risky pickup forward, Lincoln McCarthy, over uh, Moore um, at quarter time. I was panicking. He was on negative one, <laughs> so <laughs> that was not looking very good. Um, and the Lions were five goals down at that point, and then obviously that huge turnaround. Lincoln McCarthy led that in the second quarter, kicked two goals. Uh, I think he ended with four for the match, put up 87 supercoach points for the rest of the three quarters to end on 86, so that was pretty good. Yeah, 87 in three quarters is pretty huge. Um, we see the battle with Moore. I know we're watching the Moore pick on the uh, Friday night there together, and he was doing a bit poorly, but it just takes a couple of intercept marks from him and a couple of kickouts to sort of save a bad score there for Darcy Moore. Yeah, absolutely. Darcy Moore showed that he's got that quick scoring potential. Um, you know, every now and then he'd pop up, take a mark, have a kick, or the other team would kick it behind. He'd run, you know, grab that ball, and we were cheering as to who's going to take the kick out, whether it was him or Jeremy Howe. But yeah, he, his score was jumping out very quickly there, and I think he'll be a good pick. So I think the three things for my team that I think worked out well, I think first of all it was spending that extra money down back on Lloyd there at the premium price. He pumped out a 131, and I know in the preseason we sort of went through the defenders and how we thought the kick-ins might boost some scores and we said that he could even average 120 considering he averaged so highly last year and you know from the round one it really showed that in a game where his team didn't really perform too well he still was able to shoot out a high score and if he keeps that up you know his price could rise to a sort of level where it'd be hard for people who don't have him already to sort of fit him into the team. I think number two was the pick of Nat Five putting up a 147. He was immense. He just came out and showed once again that he's one of the highest scoring capable players in the game and having that sort of a player over, as we mentioned, you know, your lucky Neils and the other types around that price. I think Five so far was a, a really nice pick there. And I think lastly, the thing I was happy about with my scoring was taking that vice captain choice of Cripps' 126. We posted out on the Twitter a few stats about um, Grundy and 
uh, Danger, who were playing the next night, and both of them scored above that 126 at about a 50% clip rate the season before, so you'd probably expect one of them to have uh, gone over that. But as we saw in that game, both players scoring about the 80 and the 90, so saved myself about 30 points, locking in that safe face captain score there. So in terms of things that we didn't do very well... Um... There was a few. I mean, obviously, we didn't put up necessarily the scores that we'd like to be. It'd be nice to be leading at this stage. But um, one for me, I had a few, obviously. My rookie selection was not necessarily bad, but in terms of who I had on the field, uh, I had Smith on the field. He only managed to put up 33. And then Scott on the bench with 103. That's, you know, 70 points lost right there. And then Sam Collins down in the defense. Um, I didn't have him for a lot of the preseason. I was running with Dersmer and Clark on the field. Last minute went, oh, you know, job security. I'll throw him in there. And then he managed to only put up 27, so that was really disappointing. Yeah, the rookies are actually very interesting this year because, as you said, I as well forked out the nearly 190,000 for Collins, putting out the 27, which it hurts you both in the scores that you've got on the field, but also in how you spent that money because if I had have um, dropped him down to, I know we saw Callum Wilkie post out quite an impressive score in the 70s there um, for that 117 price, and you could have saved you know, your seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000, which might have been enough to boost someone like Libba, who was probably one of my downsides in my team, scoring the 75, when you've got people around that price, sort of your Rockcliffe scoring your 130s, you know, potentially keeper option, captain option type scores. If I was to move Collins down, that might have let me move that mid-pricer to someone who we saw score these big scores um, in round one. Yeah, so on those mid-prices, that was probably the second one on my list. Uh, I went with Brad Crouch. He didn't have a poor game. He put up 91, but obviously around his price, we had Dom Sheed and Tom Rockcliffe both score, you know, 130, 140-odd points. Um, So that's probably one of the misses for me. And I'm not really sure why I have Brad Crouch, because I remember texting you saying, I'm on the Rocky train and started (laughs) Rockcliffe. And then, yeah, at some point, uh, Rockcliffe became Brad Crouch. Not too disappointed. Again, 91 is still a pretty decent score, but that's another 50 points gone begging there. I think another one that um, is on my downside list is Clayton Oliver. We know he did really well in the JLT. He looked like a really safe selection there, even though there were concerns about his off-season preparation with surgery and also his ability to score in the midfield with Viney and Brayshaw and, and Gorn as well. And he posted out a 71, which really hurts when the other player I was tossing up there was Coniglio, who went big with his 30 touches and three goals there and posted out a huge score. Um, do you think that's something with Oliver that we expect week to week, or is this sort of a, a once-off sort of a score for him to go that low? I think at this stage we have to assume that it's going to be a once-off score. Um, you know, you can't really be trading out your premiums after one bad score. Uh, looking at stats before, we are just saying that Grundy, who was obviously one of the surprise packets of last year, First round, he scored 85, and then for the next 10 rounds, he put up, you know, 150-odd pretty much every week. So if you have Oliver or someone who's similarly underperformed at that price, I wouldn't necessarily be jumping off him straight away. Speaking about the rucks there, it's probably another final point for my team, you know, wishing that it sort of went a bit differently was that inclusion of Grundy there for the 81 at the $708,000 price bracket when you've got you know, a stack of other Ruckmen. We saw Nank kick three goals and go, you know, 130 plus there in the Ruck. We saw cheaper options uh, really scoring well this round and your two big primos sort of, well, in Gorn's case, got tagged out of the match and Grundy not really having the influence that he usually has. Yeah, it was an interesting one. Obviously, a lot of people running that set and forget Gron Grundy who were burned there, I guess, spending that much. Uh, We've both got the same Grundy-Goldstein set up and yeah, after Grundy put up that 81, I was sort of raging at you saying, oh, I knew Gorn was the pick, you talked about a Gorn, and then, yeah, he's come out and, and put up the exact same score 
Um, the rucks were quite interesting. So across the board, I would say that ruck scores were probably down. Haven't looked exactly at the stats there, but you had a few, like you said, Nankervis scoring really well um, in the same game. Phillips put up 98, but for the most part, I think the scores were down potentially because if there was less congestion, less stoppages. Yeah, I think we saw across the whole round we had hitouts down because of the um, less ball-ups around the ground. So I feel like when hitouts are down for your Ruckman to score well, you want them to be that extra player around the ground, the extra midfielder or the floating marker type player, which is probably why we saw players like Reece Stanley hit the hit the ton with a 108 or so. He's not really the best Ruckman, but he could get around the ground and score. But that begs the question of, I still don't know why Grundy, who's that's meant to be his strength, being the extra midfielder getting the touches, was only down at 81. So I guess all of this is off a small sample size there with one round. And I think we'll have to wait a little bit to really figure out which of these Ruckmen will end up on top come end of the year. Yeah, one thing I noticed with the Rucks was that a few of them seemed to get off to quite a good start. So Goldstein, both of our teams, scored 102, which is a pretty good score, at least for a Ruck this round. But... He started off really strong. He was on 40-something points in the first quarter, um, you know, then then in the 60s and 70s, and just didn't seem to finish strongly. The same Jared Witts, I saw him doing very well in the first quarter against the Saints, and then didn't seem to finish too strongly. I'm not sure whether there was less stoppages as the game went on. Maybe it opened up there. Um, something that someone maybe could have a look at with in-depth stats analysis there. It'll also be interesting whether people find out that was due to a fatigue factor. We know that the game is meant to be a lot more taxing on players these days, and we also saw a few teams really throw the double ruckman into effect. I know Brisbane split their time very evenly in the ruck between your uh, Steph Martins and your McInerney's. Um, Potentially, do you think that's going to see more of these two-player ruckmen getting involved, or do you think teams are needing to have that extra smaller endurance player on the ground with these uh, more minutes being required? Yeah, I think we could see that um, a lot of teams running with those two rucks. So Port Adelaide did it to great success, running um, Lysette and Ryder there against Gorn, and with a clear sort of <clears throat> with a clear direction to make it hard for him, physically hard for Gorn. You know, especially early in the game, just batting him around. You know, hitting him when you get a chance, tackling hard. And I think we could see a lot of teams doing that. Uh, as you mentioned, Brisbane went with that two ruck setup, sort of as a a mid-game change as a result of having too tall a forward line and needing a bit more forward pressure there. They started, instead of having one ruck in the middle and then one ruck up forward, they started shifting to just having one ruck on the bench, one out in the middle of the ground and just rotating between the two, so only ever really having one on the ground. I think what we also saw in that Gorn game when you're saying that he sort of got tagged out of it is that clubs are realizing with these really dominant ruckmen, if you can sort of put some pressure on Gorn and put some hits on Gorn and pressure him by sort of tagging him out of the game, you're effectively also tagging out an Oliver-type midfielder who's relying on that service from Gorn. So we're seeing that these teams that have really strong ruckmen sort of attacking that area of the game is a way that you can influence the whole way the team plays. And I think we might see some more of these big dominant Ruckman being affected more by the tag than we've ever seen before. Yeah, so it's going to be a very interesting one going forward, Rucks. A lot to discuss there, but we might move on to talking about some of the rookies. Uh, We sort of thought that it might be a bit of a weak group in this rookies, but they've put up some pretty good scores. Yeah, really good scores. We saw 103s from both Scott and Willem Drew out of that first round. And um, not only were they putting up those numbers, they showed on the ground that they had the impact that you'd want from sort of, you know, high-end players in the in the best 22. I know 
especially in that port game, you had, you know, Drew, Dersmer and Butters sort of linking up in chains to goals over and over and working together and you're sort of looking for these players in your team that can have impact to keep their spot because you can score as much as you like, but if the coaches don't think that they're having the impact on the ground, they're not going to keep their spot in the team. And we've got a few really gems there that I don't only expect to keep their spot and make cash, but they're players I'm looking to field in the future. Yeah, a few others there, Constable with 85 and um, St. Kilda's own Matthew Parker with 87. So some very good scores there. Um, the Carlton boys, Walsh and Setterfield putting up 68 and 69, but also looking quite good in terms of actually impacting the game. So I think we do have quite a strong batch of rookies here. And there wasn't really too many coming out of the blue. Uh, Tom Sparrow did all right from Melbourne as a late inclusion. Um, Corey Wagner as well. But in terms of the rookies in your team, I'm pretty happy with who you selected. Yeah, overall, I'm pretty happy with who I'm selecting, except probably my issues will come down back. I thought Clark for Geelong looked really strong. I expect him to play a lot of games off the half back. But when I'm looking at my Collins, Hoare, Scrimshaw, I'm starting to think that these are the players that are sort of on the fringe of their teams and potentially looking at getting dropped. Uh, I'm someone who's running Dersma in the middle, which if I need to make a trade, might be a bit of flexibility there for me to move around, but I'm sort of wishing I had Dersma's score to play on field in the back line rather than running a Scrimshaw, Collins or Hoare. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure of the scoring capacity of those three down back. So probably at the start, I thought that the defensive rookies were quite strong, but now I'm even wondering if I'm going to have a couple of those maybe being left out of the team in the future. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So Collins at 188,000, scored a 27. Yeah, he's found his way onto my bench and obviously will remain there until he puts up a good score. And then the same for Smith, uh, 180,000 again, put up a 33. So relegated to the bench. But as far as the rookies go, I think the ones that pretty much everyone has, you know, your Walsh, your Constable, um, a lot of people running Scott there, they seem to be the ones that are going to be putting up the scores this season. Yeah, I think Constable I want to touch on there for a little bit because I remember we were watching the game and early he was not really getting near the ball and we saw him on a very low score in the first, you know, part of the first quarter, wasn't really getting near it. At quarter time, his score wasn't that high and then he found his way into the game. And for a lot of these rookies, you know, especially the ones playing their first game, it's really important to watch the games and watch how they're playing because someone like Constable his score could have been a lot higher if he started with a bit more confidence and was in the game a bit more. He could have easily gone near the ton, so it's something to watch next week if he's got that sort of out of his system and able to even go to a higher level next week. And so the other strategy, obviously, apart from that guns and rookies, is to run quite a few more mid-prices. We saw some of the more successful teams uh, this week did that, and so did our model. Obviously, picking some of those value picks means you're going to have a lot of mid-prices in your team. Uh, we mentioned that the model put up a pretty respectable score, 21.46, um, higher than either of our team's scores this week. So it did pretty well, and that's off the back of players like Sheed and Rockliffe. Yeah, so the model, you look at its middle, and it had 144 from Sheed, 138 from Matt Crouch, 138 from Rockliffe, and even some of the more questionable picks in that midfield, like Jack Steele, started very slow, ended with a 115 on the back of a bunch of tackles and a goal. Tim Taranto hit the 112. I mean... You're looking at that midfield of mid-price madness now in hindsight and you know I wish I had some of my premium sort of dropped down to that level so I could afford to move someone like a Libra up to a player like Steele and then you've got this scoring capacity straight from the start. And I, what I found even more interesting than sort of those mid, mid-price mid midfield picks that are relatively common throughout the teams is some of the more uncommon picks that the model threw up like for example Bachar Hooli down back and Jack Nunes up forward they both did very well as, uh, in addition. Yeah, Hooli with a 112, and he's someone that, as we said last week, has put up these scores before, and I'm not too 
concerned with worrying if he'll back this up because he's a player that's shown premium status. I think I'd be concerned if I was a short owner at this stage who didn't really score too well because we are getting the ball into Hooley's hands whenever Richmond could, so that scoring capacity for short might be a bit in question in the future, do you think? Yeah, I think so. If you'd have short, you'd be a little bit worried. There's obviously always the chance that the Royals switch throughout the year and, you know, maybe at some point throughout the year the Hooley uh, train drops off and Short starts putting up those big numbers, but at the moment it looks like Hooley's the go-to man down there and Short's scores could suffer as a result. You touched on Jack Nunes at 350k, he posted out a 92 in a game where he sort of, you know, he ran the wings, he did some good things, did some bad things, and I can definitely see him being a high 80s to 90 scorer throughout the year and making a lot of money there. Um, as you mentioned, the the model did quite well and pretty much hit on most of, not only the picks that it did take, um, but a lot of the picks that were close to making the team, or there are a few names that um, you remember missing out that you looked at them on the weekend and thought, oh, they were probably, you know, one person down on the order and ended up doing quite well. Yeah, there were a few. Um, thankfully, I sort of stole the model's picks and put them into my draft side, so I was chewing them on anyway. But two up forward were uh, Luke Dalhouse. He put up the time, I think. And then Tom Papley for the Swans. I think he was in the 90s, maybe about a 95 or thereabouts. And yeah, looks like the model was spot on with those ones as well. So um, really, the weakest part of the model was our pre-selection of Dangerfield, Gorn, and Grundy. <laughs> so we're saying that the human component of the computer model was really the failure of the model. Yeah, at this stage. So we thought that we were doing it a favor, obviously, by pre-selecting some captain options, um, putting in those players. But it turns out maybe we should have just let it pick uh, some value picks in the ruck, and it probably would have been very interesting to see who it went with. And we were also the ones picking the rookies and starting Sam Collins down back for a 27. Um, we didn't really have the capacity and the information to create a model to pick these rookies, but perhaps if we had found a way to do so, it would have found less value in that 188 pick and maybe would have played a player like Clark on field, which would have gotten us some more points. So I feel like, if anything, what we've learned from this is that we need to figure out how to reduce the human component of Supercoach to make the computer make more selections. Yeah, definitely one for round one uh, next year. We'll be running that model full computer, I think. So the only player that we really missed there in the model was Aaron Francis with the 52. Do you think that is something where the model has gotten that player wrong or is that a uh, thumping that we saw from GWS who really took the ball out of Essendon's hands? Yeah, it's hard to say. Obviously, off one game, it's very um, hard to make a trend. I mean, obviously, you don't have a trend there. It's, It's one data point, but... It's a bit worrying that Aaron Francis put up that score, but at the same time, no one from Essendon really put up a great score. You know, they got flogged uh, by GWS pretty comprehensively, and it's hard to put up a good supercoach score in a losing side, as we all know. Um, One to watch for next week. Um, I don't think we'll be trading him out necessarily. Yeah, definitely there's players around that options which the model had close, like Nick Newman, who you could trade to, but I think this is a good time to transition maybe into some advice we have for the people after the first round. It's definitely, we're seeing some trigger-happy people. I know you shot some stats before about some players who you've already seen being traded out of teams. Yeah, it was uh, Oliver and Grundy, I believe, were the two. So it shows you down the bottom of the Supercoach page players that you have in your team uh, that people are trading out, and those were two of the worst performing players I had really in terms of comparing their price to their output. And I can understand obviously why people are, you know, or maybe if I just jump off Oliver, I can go down to say Coniglio or all the way down to Rockcliffe or Sheed, make a whole bunch of cash. Um, But, you know, you're sort of, in my opinion, you're wasting trades. Um, You might get a, you know, a short boost in the meantime. But I mean, if you really think Dom Sheed, for example, is going to outscore Clayton Oliver over the season, then go ahead and pull the trigger. But if you're just looking for cash, I think you need to back in your premiums. Yeah, I think that brings us to our first real 
advice point, which is to back your boys. You've selected these premium players because you think over the season they will average a certain amount. And you can't go trading these boys off one game. Example, Oliver, you picked him because you think that over the course of the season he'll average, say, 110. Just because he scored 80 in the first week doesn't make him any less likely, in your opinion, over your research over the summer to average that 110 for the rest of the season. So if you still think that he's a keeper... You shouldn't be trading these players out just because of one bad score because their price shouldn't matter because if they're keepers and you've got them in your team, you should be backing them in for the whole season. Yeah, I agree. Um, The only sort of exception, I think, is if you're seeing someone with a clear role change. So like we talked about before, short. Perhaps if you're a short owner and you've seen Hooley come in and take that role away from him, then perhaps you can look at an early trade. But we know that Clayton Olive is going to be playing inside midfielder for Melbourne the entire season. So in that regards, I think you need to back your boy. And I think point number two we need to bring up here is to bank your trades. I mean, as you said, if there is a you know known flaw in your lineup and you have to change it, it might be worth it. But you need to look at these trades as commodities. Every time you're downgrading someone, you're earning you know your 100, 150Ks and you should sort of treat your trades in that matter where you shouldn't be throwing them away because you'll need them later in the year. That might be the difference of you being able to sort of make an extra trade at the end of the season to pick up a fallen premium for your bench. It could be the difference between having the ability later in the year to make a final upgrade instead of being stuck with, you know, the player that is your, you know, D6 turning into a an Uber premium there. So these trades are worth value and you shouldn't just be oh, running two a week for these first few weeks because you'll need to save them for your real upgrades, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's more important to have trades late season than it is to get an extra 50 or so points at the start of the season because the people who run through their trades very quickly and, and burn through them, you know, they're going a bit too close to the sun. They will drop off near the end of the year. Um, we see it happen every year. And you have people saying things like, you know, oh, I burnt through my trades. It, it worked though. You know, I finished in the top 10,000, but it's not the aim. You know, obviously if the aim is to win the cash, to get as close to winning the cash as possible, you're going to need to save some trades for the buy rounds and then you're going to need to save some trades for late in the season. Next point I think we should raise as a bit of advice is that these week one scores are probably the least important scores for the year. Um, How price rises will work is that you'll get a three round average, so prices won't change until the end of the first three rounds, in which case you'll get those average of three scores and then the next price rise will be from rounds two onwards. So that first game, that score will drop out of that price rise or price drop really quickly. So when you're looking at players like, say, your Rocky, and you're thinking, oh, his price is going to shoot through the roof, or you're looking at players like Grundy, and you're thinking, oh, his price will fall, remember that if Grundy comes out the next three weeks and goes 150, 150, 150, his price will drop for one week, and then will shoot up for the next, you know, two, three weeks, depending on how well he scores. So when people are assuming that someone like Grundy is about to drop 300k in price, you just need to remember that this first score is only in that price cycle for one week. Yeah, it's a really good point um, in terms of it being the least important week. And I think it's it's important to note that it also is not the most important week in the AFL season overall. We often see premiers or people who went late into September not really having that training loads under their belt and dropping a few early games. Uh, I know that last season, the two grand finalists, both Collingwood and West Coast, lost round one and then obviously went on to play deep into the finals and in that grand final. So, you know, if your team got flogged this week, it's not all doom and gloom necessarily. Point number four that we should probably raise is that matchups matter a lot. So when you're looking at players who scored well or scored badly, you should look at why they did so. Perhaps 
You've got a ruckman who is scoring highly because he came up against the worst ruck in the league, and therefore you need to take that score into account. Or similarly, if you're looking at Essendon player scores who lost by nearly 100 points, you know that probably won't happen every week. So not only looking at the player scores as a raw number, but looking at why they scored that. You know, maybe they had five frees against, which probably won't happen every game, or maybe this or that happened. And actually looking a bit deeper into the numbers, do you think that's something that people overlook more often than not? I think it is, and one good example I think you could look at this week with Gorn and Nankervis. So Gorn obviously underperforming and Nankervis doing really well. When we look closely at those games, Gorn was rucking against two very capable AFL-level rucks, Lysette and Ryder, who, as we mentioned, was sort of able to work as a team, tag him out of the game, rough him up a bit. Now, not every single week he's going to be coming up against a ruck division that has two rucks that are capable of doing that, or even a team that's playing two rucks. So then let's say maybe you're looking at Gorn, or oh, I'll trade him down to Nankervis, he did really well. Nankervis played on the Thursday night against Andrew Phillips, who, you know, while he's a decent ruckman, he's not necessarily in that top-level AFL ruckman that you're going to be coming up against every single week. So, you know, will Nankervis put up a 130 when he rucks against a Grundy, a Goldstein, a Gorn, Steph Martin, etc.? The answer is probably not. So in terms of, especially your rucks where it's very match-up dependent, you know, one ruck versus another ruck, you really need to look at why did they score so well? Is this sustainable across the entire season? And probably the fifth and final bit of advice we'll throw out for you is that when you are looking to make corrections to your team, I think the one place you need to do it is for rookies. Rookies are really important, and we've seen some rookies really shoot out of the blocks this week. And if you're somebody who got all their rookies wrong, there are a few that you will need to trade into your team for point generation and cash generation. Bill, if you have to name maybe one, two, or, or three players that you think are must-haves in the rookie department that if people don't have them, you need to trade for them, are there any names that come to mind? Yeah, I think the first one, and probably the most important at this stage, is Willem Drew. He put up 103, um, same as Scott from North Melbourne also put up 103, but Willem Drew did it in the forward line, so he's got that dual position that makes him extra valuable. Uh, if you have Setterfield in the midfield, you can do the switch. Uh, if you're like me, you've started with Setterfield and Drew both in the forward line to try and maximize your points there, and that works out well as well. Um, and then obviously in the midfield, Scott, and then I also think Constable. So Constable put up an 85 at a starting price of 123. He looked really good, um, built into the game, and I could see him scoring even better next week. He seems to have a locked-in best 22 spot. I think it's very important to have a close look at the teams, who's out, who's injured, who could potentially come into these teams, and who has good job security. So we might move into talking a bit about next week and uh, what we plan to do. We'll maybe start with, Bill, are you planning on doing any trades to your teams or making any sort of positional switches to your benches, any changes with how you ran your captaincy or anything that you're sort of looking to change from week one to two? Yeah, like I said at the start, I think my team didn't really put up the score that I wanted, but I think the structurally, you know, the players I've selected, I think it's all still relatively sound at this stage. So I'm not looking to make any changes this week other than a bit of shuffling to get the right rookies onto the field. So Scott onto the field um, in place of Smith, for example, put up only 33. Um, the rest of the team seems to be relatively set. I think I'm not going to make any trades this week, I don't believe. Um, if I did make a trade, I might look at perhaps Collins and Smith out for bringing in Darcy Moore and a rookie, but even then I would be looking at that at the end of round two. Uh, and then in terms of captaincy, Jack McRae put up a pretty good score and I think he's pretty consistent. Um, looking at the games this week, Thursday, Friday, I think maybe vice-captaincy on Matt Crouch makes sense from my perspective. And then backing into Jack McRae there, uh, my advice to people at this stage in terms of captaincy, before we have a real 
idea of what's going on with the rucks is maybe don't put the captaincy on one of your rucks. What about you, Liam? Yeah, I think all of that's very good advice. I think, uh, first of all, I'm with you. I'm not trading this week. I'll hold off. Um, the only advantage in trading this week before next week will be that you get that extra points for a week, which you know probably isn't worth getting the extra week of data in there for understanding both price changes and potential scoring output. For example, if you're trading in someone like Ashid who comes out and scores 70 and then he's, you know, he's stuck in your team effectively for the rest of the season when you might have gone early off that one score. So waiting that extra week I think is very important. Um, similar to you, I'll be moving, say, your Collins to your bench to get an extra defender rookie in there on field. Scott will probably move to the starting lineup after his impressive output. Um, and in terms of captaincies for this week, I'll definitely be looking at using um, the captain loophole to look at uh, Fife as the safe bet on the last game on Sunday against Gold Coast. I think that's going to be a game where he can really score highly. And also, personally running um, my captain loophole as the Dogs Ruckman leaves me all the way up until that game, with Dogs being the second last game. So I've got a lot of options for that advice. I can look at you know pretty much anyone throughout the game. I like Dangerfield at home after playing a bad game. Might be someone I look at for potentially bouncing back for a big score. Um, might be someone I'll look at for a Saturday game. Um, but just to keep in mind, you need to know who you're doing your captain loophole with to make sure that you've got that time to sub them on. For example, if you're running as you are, the West Coast Ruckman is the loophole. They're playing at a similar time to Geelong, so you need to be making sure that your player has played before your loophole so you can make your switches and lock that in. So I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind for this week. Yeah, it's good advice. Um, I guess we'll have a look as well at the model we said that there's probably not going to be any trades this week although i think there is some merit we're going to sort of discuss it a bit later there is some merit with the model in terms of trying to get that quick cash generation maybe jumping off francis and on to someone in the back line nick newman or jamie mcmillan yeah mcmillan as you mentioned he was quite an interesting one this week scored you know your 140s or whatever in the jlt and we all thought that might be a bit of a uh you know once off and then he comes out and scores, you know, 120s this week and sort of has both the ability to gather the ball in that um, back line and also take some kickouts and score um, very easily from that. So these players that might have a high ceiling of price rises, um, again, it's probably something we'll look at next week to see if Francis scores well or if these players that we might trade to score as well before we decide jumping off. But um, in terms of the models team, as you said, a lot of these players... Um, we can sort of look at moving like Collins to the bench might be an option to increase the model score, but also captaincy choice. I mean, we had obviously, um, I think it was Danger and Grundy as our two captain options there who didn't fire. Um, in terms of that models team, it would be quite interesting for how we go with captains this week. Do we leave that um, option on someone that scored high like a Sheed or a Rockcliffe who seemed to have the ceiling in that team? Or do we leave sort of our, you know, Grundy Danger options as the captains, um, how do you think we should go with that um, just off the cuff? How do, you, how do you see the choice for a team like that who don't have your safe Crips and McRae options? Do you reckon Rockcliffe and Sheed are the ones you should be looking at because of their high ceiling? Yeah, I tend to just back the numbers. So if a rookie has scored better than another one, I'll move them onto the field for the second week. Uh, for example, Chucky captaincy on whoever scored the highest. But there is obviously a lot of merit in having someone who's consistently put up their scores uh, you know, for years and years, like a danger field. I think this week, I'd be very tempted by Rockcliffe, though. So Port Adelaide playing at home against Carlton. Um, you know, we could definitely see Tom Rockcliffe racking up another 40 touches there and putting up a 150. So that's something that we'll definitely have to discuss throughout the week. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's lots of good options. One of the highest scorers and probably the most known scoring over a long period of time is Matt Crouch came out with 130s. He's coming up against Sydney, who didn't look very good um, on the weekend. I think that's something I'm a bit surprised at for this models team, where I thought that going in, one of the issues would have been the captain's options, which is why we set your Dangerfield and your Grundies into that team. And then coming out of round one, I'm sort of jealous of these 130s coming out of you know your Sheeds and your Rockies, because the options there for that models team appears to be quite good, as well as having these underpriced players, as we mentioned, like your Nunes, who I can see him rising to a um, primo-type price in not too long if he keeps up these scores in um, the forward line and also your players like Hooley in the back line. One of the other important things I think to consider in Supercoach can sometimes be which teams you actually think are going to improve. So if a team is winning a lot of games, then you know even the average sort of role players in that team can end up putting scores between you know 75 and 95. So even not really as stars, but you're just getting that bonus from being on the winning side. So maybe just looking at round one, which teams looked good and who do you think maybe is uh, set to rise? Yeah, I think it's something to keep in mind, especially for your drafts, which we haven't had a lot of time this podcast to talk about, but hopefully in the future we'll spend a bit of time looking at in a few weeks who's still around on you know your waiver wires in a lot of leagues to, to look at picking up. But on that point you raised, I know in one of my drafts I picked up Caleb Daniel on my bench, who was a bit of a late player I picked up in the forward line. And he was playing a really friendly scoring role in a team that had a big win. Saw him post a a, a 100 score there. Um, and yeah, pretty much as you mentioned, everyone in the GWS team in a big win. Everyone in the Frio team in a big win. Players like Darcy Tucker coming out with a 112 or so. Coming out of big wins in those sort of a teams, it's, it's a really good way to sort of pick your players. So if you see your team coming up against... Uh, low-ranking team at home might be um, a good way to pick some players if you've got two, say, waiver options. Pick the one who you think his team might have a big win. So just on that round, those round one games, teams that looked pretty good. Um, I was quite surprised by Fremantle. I thought that North were probably a pretty good chance to get up there. So um, Fremantle, definitely a surprise packet for me in the first round. Yeah, and I think on the same uh, boat as that, the Brisbane Lions, your boys really stormed home against a pretty quality outfit. As you said, they're coming off um, you know, a lower training. They missed a, a few players, but look at these teams that were slight underdogs on the weekend and came out and really overperformed and were able to stack the score on. I think it's very important when you're looking at you know, your Fremantle scoring a 141. Like They're one of the only teams this weekend where you saw that sort of barrage of scoring coming out of the teams and as we mentioned sort of in the preseason pods, we're yet to see how these rule changes will work come later in the year when teams, we really know which ones are the good teams and the bad teams. Some teams might fall out of finals and these sort of open park style rules that really might suit some teams that get on top and teams can't flood and then they can't sort of stem the flow. So potentially later in the year, those teams, as you mentioned, who are getting big wins, we might see players from their midfield and forward lines really uh, pile on the super coach points as well yeah and then obviously the opposite of that is true uh, as well so Essendon players I mean I'm not really going to be looking to pick too many of them up in our draft league off the waiver after that performance um pretty inspired performance from the Dons there and then the other game that I was looking at for that point was St Kilda versus Gold Coast um it didn't look like the most high quality game to me and then only four players on the field turning up um in some games you know you had eight or nine or ten from the one team so Potentially those teams that you think maybe might struggle a bit, um, at least early in the season or potentially for the entire year, maybe worth staying away from those mid-price uh, players in those teams. 
Yeah, definitely. I was at that game and the skills were very poor. I thought that probably if either of those teams came up against most other clubs in that week, they would have found it very hard. Um, that was a game where both clubs scored a lot more goals than behinds as well. So on a regular week, um, those 85 total points that the game ended up on would even be a bit lower. So especially looking at some of those players in the forward lines of those clubs that scored highly, probably most weeks you'd expect them to not score as highly if the ball isn't down there as much. So all these sort of things are really important in terms of understanding who will score well week to week, who you should captain week to week, and who you should field from your rookies. Um, especially on the rookie front, if you're playing in a heavy loss, that's the time where some of these first-year players will find it hard to get into the game. So uh, picking and choosing your field players on that is uh, quite a good strategy. Yeah, so overall an exciting round one of football. I'm not necessarily sure that we got that big rule change uh, attacking flair that we were hoping for, so only three teams scoring over 100 points there, but obviously still something to come as the weeks go by. Uh, We've got a good round two starting on Thursday night with Richmond and Collingwood and uh, yeah, hopefully we can get some good Supercoach scores out of that game and the model can tick along well uh, as we continue season 2019.